on TV, on radio, and on your smartphone. This is Talk TV. Good evening, my friends, and welcome to Jeremy Carr Live for Thursday night. So check this. Captain Hindsight Snooze Fest is apparently on a mission to save the British public from the multitude of different crises this country is facing. So, pin back your goals. Let's hear from him rallying the troops in Manchester earlier today. I, I do, do believe Britain needs a clearer sense of purpose and that the way we run our country can be more like a brilliant sports team pursuing victory that government can be driven forward by clear, focused objectives. And that this approach is vital for Britain to get its confidence, its hope and its future back. And that's what I'm here to set out today, how a new mission-driven Labour government will end sticking plaster politics. And in doing so, get Britain back on its feet. Brilliant. Uh, so let's see what he's outlined as the five missions he will put at the centre of his party's offer to you, the voters, at the next election. Securing, he says, is number one, the highest sustained growth in the G7 group of rich nations. That's made up of us, the US, Canada, France, Germany, Italy and Japan. He's going to do this in five years by the end of Labour's first term. Also in five years, he's going to make Britain a clean energy superpower, removing fossil fuels from all of Britain's electricity generation by 2030. Uh, he's also going to improve the NHS and make it completely fit for purpose. He's going to reform the entire justice system. He's going to keep our streets safe. He's going to raise education standards. <gasps> and he's going to remove barriers to opportunity for all kids. So you know what? I thought to myself, brilliant. We'll take him at his word. What we'll do is we'll get somebody from the Labour Party on today to actually say, this is what we're going to do. This is our vision this is why we believe Labour should remove the Tories after 13 years of rule. But check this, my friends. Six hours, my production team, have been trying to get somebody. The press office of Labour said we haven't got a plan. Even on this momentous occasion, probably planned for goddamn weeks, not a single Labour spokesperson was available. And this was written, by the way... Even the shadow cabinet are staying in the shadows. <laughs> We've provided a chair at no expense and no buggers turned up. Don't forget you can get in touch with me throughout the show and all the socials. Insta, <laughs> Twitter at TalkTV, using the hashtag JKLive. I'll tell you who has turned up. Political commentator Russell Quirk, Talk TV presenter Nicola Thorpe and barrister, good friend of the show, Paula Roan Adrian. Uh, welcome. Thank you. Um, Thank I'm going to start with you. Oh, no. I am absolutely <laughs> going to start with you. I'm getting that thrilling, aren't I? Here's my problem, yeah. OK? Again, I always try and bring it back to the British people. Mm -hmm. 13 years of Tory rule, and even the most ardent Conservatives would say, floundering. This is the Labour Party's chance to prove to the British public why we should vote for them. And that, nobody turning up, not being brave enough to stand up for what Captain Hindsight's snooze fest was warbling on about today. Nobody. That's not the look, Nick, when you are trying to glean people's confidence, is it? No, not at all. It's hugely disappointing. Of course you want somebody to be here to explain what those five parts of the manifesto are, which I thought were really good. I don't think there's much that you can knock about what he was talking about in Manchester today, but you're absolutely spot on. If you're not going to properly brief your cabinet, send them to TV shows like this to get that message across to the public, because that's where 
Keir Starmer's always gone a little bit wrong or he's never quite got it right. And, here, and here's my problem. I, I know that the Tories are fundamentally flawed and it's not great, OK? But the Labour Party, probably because of Brexit, probably because of Corbyn, the hangover from all of that, are still distrusted by many people. If you are saying to the British people, I don't even trust my MPs or my shadow cabinet to come out and back what I'm saying, then people will start saying, well, Superstarmer's mission actually is just waffle. What are the facts? He's going to change the entire world in five years. Jesse, isn't it the other way around, that the MPs don't trust him? Is that maybe why they're not coming out to support him? I mean, I watched that speech today and it was full of rhetoric, full of barnstorming headlines and sound bites. I think he used... He actually used... He borrowed such phrases as taking back control... I think he talked about sticking plaster politics about 17 times. So it was a very, very contrived thing, but, of course, lacking in detail. Yeah. No substance, no strategy, mm -hmm. but also no costs. Now, one of the things he said, which is I, I find as a kind of property guy quite interesting, is that uh, not for the first time he's pledged to insulate 16 million British homes. Fantastic. Do that. Where's the money coming from? Do you know how much that would cost? No. Nope. 16 million homes, £10,000 a time. I'm no mathematician, but I think that's £160 billion. That's the same budget as the National Health Service consumes in a year. Where on earth is the money coming from? It's pretty obvious to me, the fact that no-one's bothered yeah. to back him up. There is no detail. It is just a headline. It is just rhetoric. Um, and, and also, look, based on the fact that he's not just Captain Hindsight, he's kind of general flip-flop, isn't he? Well, we, um, we did this last night, Paula, actually. We were talking about... We showed a, a, a sop from when he was running for leader when he yes. said, you know, thank you to Jeremy Corbyn, and then four years later, three years later, three years, he's yeah. saying to Corbyn, you can't stand. The problem is, politics in this country now is, is, is un unfortunately so much about waffle and the look... Are there any new solutions or is it just rhetoric? Are, is he doing what the Tories have done? The mm. people want to know yeah. in this moment how he's going to make things better and they can't eat... And I'm so angry about that. I've always had Labour MPs and it's not, I'm not taking it personally, but I think... Today, they've played into the Tories' hands again. It, it is disappointing and shock upon shock, but I'm actually going to agree with Russ on a point. Wow! Well. <laughs> Seriously? Hang out because the flags! he told us today, didn't he, he told us there was also going to be an overhaul of the planning process and mm. how that was going to take an impact. And, and we've got no detail. And... The thing is, Jeremy, I understand your anger, and there is going to be anger out there for a lot of the people watching this programme because we need answers. Mm. We've had 13 years of nothing in terms of what it could have done for this society, yeah. OK? We've got, we've got uh, Lloyds uh, claiming dividends of billions, we've got the petrol companies claiming billions, etc., etc. The people of this country need answers. Yeah. We've got Keir Starmer telling us that this is what I'm going to do. Who's knighted, by the way, and lives in Islington. The other Sir thing that... Yeah, I mean, that, the, the, the problem is, and, and I know is that you're looking slightly concerned as a Labour supporter, the two things that he didn't touch upon at all were Brexit and immigration. Yeah. The two biggest things that we talk about every night. Well, worryingly, actually, he did touch on immigration. Yeah, he did. And I say worryingly because... Well, only the asylum processing situation. So he talked about the admin of immigration. He didn't well, talk about stopping illegal he immigration. He also, dare I say, quoted Suella Braverman by saying, that he was going to stop the legal boats. Yeah. I don't understand what that means. And mm. that's technic and that's technically he, but wrong. It sounds so it worries me. It? But it's, it worries me. It's so clear what he that transition of personality and character that's happened over the past few years is You that mean he's actually finally <clears throat> got one? No, I mean that no, he's, no, he's, he's obviously <laughs> seeing where the country as a whole are generally mm. and that actually if he was to stick to his absolute principles that he had five years ago, he wouldn't be 
But, sorry, Nicola, when you say principles, yes. how, how has this man got principles? So he was absolutely against Brexit, went uh -huh. to the second referendum, he's U-turned on yeah. that. He's U-turned on his position on Jeremy Corbyn, he's U-turned on tuition fees, and in, literally in the last 24 mm -hmm. hours, really worryingly, has U-turned on Shamima Begum. Yes, and that the was fact extremely, that ago, extremely said, worrying to me. Three years ago, he said she should be allowed Russell, back. Yes. Now he's saying not, yeah. because he's preaching to a crowd that he's simply trying because to convert into Because I votes. believe his number one principle is for the greater good. No, and he can his do number one principle is to get elected. He's in power. He wants to get elected I at any cost. I was highly disappointed well, in him. Doesn't this, it's U really interesting to this. You were disappointed in him yeah, today. Yeah, of course I was disappointed, but I still look at if the man and go, do you know what, I will still vote for you because I cannot do, I cannot possibly have 13 more years of this. Mm. But I'm not sure Keir Starmer's any better. Sorry, but, well, I'm not sure he's any better. Yeah, but better. this is the question, isn't it, that you asked, Jeremy. What is it that we expect from our leaders now? We haven't had that in the Conservative government. We haven't. It's not been... Uh, I'm going to throw something... It's not been fantastic. I'm going to throw something... <laughs> I, I, I accept all of that, but, you know, the British people and the, and the voting public are quite fickle. Hear me out on that. Yeah. We can all sit here and you can tell me that Boris Johnson had a strange relationship with the truth and he made messes... He's still the best campaigner of any politician in any party. You can make that Yeah, vote. without much mm. substance behind that Unfortunately, mm. what a lot of the British people do, they will look at Sunak and they will look at Starmer and they'll go, there is... I mean, let me tell you some comments, right? It's very interesting. Um, will Sir Keir Starmer be the next PM? We put online. Uh, yes, 26%. Nicola, no, 74%. Mel says, unfortunately so. We have to suffer the same fate as the Americans do under Biden. Kevin says... He has the charisma of a flat fish. I don't know why the fish needs to be flat. Uh, Nat says there needs to be a I hope not option. Paul says you have to listen to what the people of this country are saying, not just the upper-class twits. I am a Labour supporter, but this man has his own agenda and just wants to get elected, not the people. I think that's very how interesting. How is the upper-class? People always say this North London... He's why doesn't the... he turn his knighthood down, then, if he doesn't agree yeah, with all of that? I completely agree why with you. Why Because he, he apparently in the Labour Party HQ likes to be called Mr Starmer, not Sir But I tell you what, Jay, Jeremy, I come from a working-class background as well, and the way that I was brought up was to be respectful of those kind of things. And if I had been offered a knighthood at that point, or a ladyhood, whatever they call it for women. I a ladyhood. <laughs> Lady <laughs> Nicola Thorne. I love it. A ladyhood. Me and my ladyhood. <laughs> and yeah, I would have accepted it because that's a big thing for working class people is feeling mm. like, yes, I've made he it. He didn't I'm do a great now. job as the director of public prosecutions, and obviously I won't go as far as other people have done in mm. the past. All I'm saying is, for me, yeah, slight anger about that, but very, very frustrated because I suspect there are millions of people in this country who, at this moment, right, are hacked off to the back teeth with the Conservative government. Yep. Whatever you might say, it is a fact. Yeah, this agree. is yeah. not only a missed opportunity, not sending people, but just the fluff. I don't think Paula did him any favours today at all. No, and, and I, I say, I have to agree with you on that fact. I think, I think you do underestimate the British public. Um, I don't think... I would think... never underestimate I... <laughs> the British public. <laughs> I, I think they'll think... see through that. They're far better than our political class on any day, believe me. Yeah. Completely. Public versus the political and, class. And, and again, God, this is painful. We agree. Uh, from... I can't do this. <laughs> this is supposed <laughs> to not work. Right, listen, hold it there. Can you just... <laughs> when we go to the break, can you work out you've got to disagree for God's sake? We'll have a fight. We'll have <laughs> right. a fight. Next yeah. on JK Live, Defence Secretary Ben Wallace says that war is coming, but are we ready for it? Colonel Richard Kemp joins me after the break to answer that question. We're coming back in three. Don't go anywhere.
Paul hasn't fought a real boxer yet. This is a fight two years in the making. There is no way that this man could beat me, even if he had a hammer in both hands. Jake loses his career over. If Tommy can't splatter Jake Paul, I'll retire him from boxing myself. When I knock out Tommy Fury, people will have nothing left to say. and always straight to the point. World-class broadcaster Vanessa Feltz is on Talk TV every night of the week. From politics to pop culture, there's no subject she shies away from. And remember... If you're thinking about it, we're talking about it. Join Vanessa Feltz on Talk TV every day from 4pm. beat me, even if he had a hammer in both hands. If Jake loses, his career's over. If Tommy can't splatter Jake Paul, I'll retire him from boxing myself. When I knock out Tommy Fury, people will have nothing left to say. This is JK Live for Thursday night, wherever you are watching across the United Kingdom. Thanks for making it talk. Piers Morgan, the big dog here from 8 o'clock live from New York City. But let's continue with this genial panel. We're not supposed to be genial. Missing one... Oh, the chair's gone now. No labour <laughs> fee. No, 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 no expense there. Now, a stark warning today was issued by our Defence Secretary, Ben Wallace. He told The Sun this morning that conflict is coming here by the end of this decade. Now, whether it's a Cold War or Hot War, he didn't say cheery stuff, but I guess he's presumably, and I hope, putting pressure on his cabinet colleagues, PM Rishi Sunak and that dour man, the Chancellor Jeremy Hunt, uh, not to shortchange his department or compromise on national security. Now, given the war in Ukraine and the assistance in forms of tanks, missiles and other weapons we've provided, 2.3 million quid, presumably we, we, the United Kingdom, need to replenish our stocks with everything that's going on. Joining me to discuss this in more detail, delighted to have you on, good friend of the show, Colonel Richard Kempt, a former British Army 
commander. Richard, uh, welcome to Jeremy Carl Live. Do our armed forces in their entirety have the resources they need, my friend? Absolutely not, and they haven't for years. They've been cut back again and again and again by successive governments who have deprived them of resources. And the end result is that we have armed forces that are looked at even by some of our European allies as being inadequate for the job, and certainly by the Americans. So, no, the answer is no, we need... They do need more money, and they need it very, very quickly. Um, we're going to do a special on this, I have to say, for everybody watching. Jeremy Kyle investigates the future of the armed forces on Monday. Please tune in for that. But one of the things that's changing, apart from the Ukraine war, which I think has, 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 has sort of uh, centred people's minds, but hopefully in government, about what's needed, is the Ministry of Defence, and, and Ben's in charge of that, insists that the future is cyber warfare and advanced technology. So do we need to replenish yet? Yes, but adapt as well. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, the you know the, the the kind of common view within the Ministry of Defence, or, or shall we say, hope within the Ministry of Defence, is that future will be dominated by technology. That, as we've seen from Ukraine, that's completely unrealistic. Modern technology like cyber, drones, un other unmanned type vehicles, all of these things are extremely important. We must have them. We must uh, spend money on them, but. We can't do so at the expense of conventional capability. We've seen in Ukraine, we've seen how important tanks are, how important infantry soldiers on the ground are, how important artillery is, which has been the main killer on that battlefield and remains so today, and aircraft, air support. Uh, so we need all of those things. We need money spent on all of them. Meanwhile, here in Britain, even after a year of war in Ukraine, which should have been a really big wake-up call to us, we're still cutting the size of the British Army Today, it's absolutely shocking, and it does need to be reversed. Um, you talked about, you know, other countries, European allies, not seeing us as, a, as an elite top-level fighting force anymore. And that whole thing, I was watching <clears throat> Sunak a couple of weeks ago saying another 2.3 billion. I think Ukraine is, as you said, should have centred many people's minds because, yes, we should support it, but there are people now, Richard, in this country saying 2.3 billion quid with everything that we've got going on. And... We're not defending or being able to defend ourselves. And when the Defence Secretary says, I'd love your response to this, there will be war in this country within 10 years. What was your response to that today? Yeah, well, if he's the Defence Secretary, he has to, has to assume we're going to be fighting a war. That's his job. And, and if possible, to work out when it's going to happen, obviously that's very, very more, than, more often than not a, a great surprise and can't really be predicted. Uh, the type of warfare we're likely to face, again, it's very often impossible to predict it, but he has to assume there's going to be a war and he has to make sure the forces are ready to deal with that as best they can. And that does mean having a, a very wide range of capability, as we've discussed, not only technological, you know, uh, high-tech future-type warfare, but also the more conventional stuff, most of which has been around uh, for most of the, for the whole of the last century, really, and certainly all of this century. So... He's got, he's got, it's his job to assume that's going to happen. He can't know whether it will or not, but he has to assume. It's in a way, it's like having an insurance policy. You don't know you're going to crash your car, but you think there's a possibility you might, so you invest in an insurance yeah. policy um, to, to help if that does occur. Richard, final question. Uh, Boris Johnson tonight popping up on Sky and actually saying out there again, it's time for the British government to send fighter jets to Ukraine, ASAP. Your thoughts on that briefly? Yeah, I think, I think, I think, fighter jets should be sent to Ukraine. I'm not sure Britain is the right country to do it. I mean, with tanks, we, 
we, we had to take a lead and offer to send uh, our tanks in order to unlock the um, impasse that was going on with German tanks. And we should be looking at the same thing with, with uh, Ukraine. I think F-16 fighters, far more numerous than anything we've got, far more easy to maintain. That's what we should be aiming for. But we should certainly be fully supporting uh, a, a, any plan and, and pushing countries to supply Ukraine with fighter jets. They need it to defend themselves. They're in serious, serious trouble now, and they really do need it. Um, actually, I am going to add one more question. So saying it was the last question was fundamentally uh, wrong. Um, if you believe Ben Wallace, where is the next war coming from? China? Well, I would say there's every chance we're going to be fighting China in some way, in some place. We could well be fighting Russia. We could be fighting, you know, Iran. More, not, not completely impossible. We could be fighting even North Korea. We could be fighting many different countries around the world. And that's why I say we have to prepare for an array of potential threats and theatres to fight in. And I would say, yeah, I'd say China's a pretty good likelihood alongside, hopefully not on our own. Hopefully we wouldn't want to take China on as a single country, but, but we, we always have to fight alongside allies. But we have to ensure we have got a significant capability to, to, to help defend the country, but also to give us a voice, a proper voice in the Absolutely. fight that takes place. Uh, Colonel Richard Kemp, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking time tonight uh, live on JK. Um, Russell, here's my thing before I bring the ladies in, right? Um, do you believe the Defence Secretary's start warnings? Yes or no? No, I don't believe that there, he has any more knowledge that there's going to be a war. I think he's just lobbying for an increasing budget. Uh, you know, the defence budget's about £70 billion. It's actually one of the biggest defence budgets in the world. You We're think about... it's enough? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, I don't. Uh, and particularly when we've talked a lot on this show, actually, in recent weeks and months about the plight of certain public sector yep. uh, workers, mm -hmm. so nurses, teachers and so on, not earning enough. Given that the and average... train drivers, remember well, a train that. drivers on a mere sixty thousand pounds a year. I mean, Fifty nine, don't lie. Goodness, yeah. goodness knows how they get by on that. But um, yeah. nurses, thirty five k. Teachers, about forty k. The uh, the entry level for a British soldier, so a private in the British Army, is sixteen thousand pounds. So if ever there should be money. Uh, kind of flooding towards a good cause, uh, it should, I think, be the British Army, and particularly those uh, those soldiers, and particularly also, I know Johnny Mercer talked about this this, uh, this week, the paltry £5 million that he's received from government when we're spending £7 million a day on housing illegal can, can I jump in with something as well? Because one of the things, Nick and, and, and Paula, that always comes back is it's all well and good, and we go back to Starmie, you know, we'll do this, we'll do that, we'll do this, we'll do that. Where's the bloody money coming from? Mm -hmm. Do you think the British public would pay more tax for a better armed force? I'm not sure, but I think that the British public would absolutely support better spent tax. And just to answer your final little point there that you just jabbed in at the end, um, you know, if we allowed asylum seekers to be processed and to work, then we wouldn't have to pay for them to go into hotels. Or if we stopped them in the first place, and we that have money to pay could for the be used for the defence budget. Now, Liz Truss pledged 3%. Who? Of yeah, exactly. The Let's just move on. The, the leftist one. <laughs> yeah, the leftist yeah, pledged 3% uh, GDP for defence spending. At the moment, it's just 23 Percent. So perhaps there is an argument there. Can I just suggest a very increased. easy solution to yeah. bolstering the defence budget by eleven billion pounds? Eleven billion pounds a year. So oh, hold on, it. it's coming. That would be eighty-one billion instead of seventy billion, and that is to get rid of the foreign aid budget and give it all to the defence budget. Can I just say, if if we if we let go of the foreign aid budget, I'm not quite sure what British values are anymore. Well, they begin here at home. Right, Harvard, okay. though. Harvard no, well, to five. Well, Harvard, if yeah. we get if 
my other concern is if we get rid of it, what other wars would be we would we Precisely. be confronting in those well, five on, to ten years' time? There's a few going on around the world. Is For, it? I don't think our aid. 11 billion has helped to stop what's going on in Syria and Russia and Ukraine, has it? Don't underestimate foreign aid. We've mm -hmm. seen what's happened when we pulled out of Afghanistan, and we didn't do that in a planned and purposeful but we still give way. Money to India, we need to be very who have careful. Their own space well, I'm going to jump in in the middle of all of you. I, I get actually that argument because I, I know this for a fact that over the last few years under the Tories, the only th this is unbelievable. Every budget in every major department was cut. The only one that did never get cut, and in fact was raised repeatedly, was was international trade. You know, aid. That mm -hmm. was the that was the point. Now you talk about British values, and I always yep. try in this program to bring it back to the people that are watching. And you know, Blackpool and beyond, because it's not just London, is it? All these London-centric politicians and people like that. There's a massive country. Are these people in the rest of this country, and you might not like this, do they actually give a damn? Do they, are they getting war fatigue? Are they, are they hacked off with the international trade development budget, whatever? Because they are struggling. Should we not be doing more? I know you're going to jump down my throat. Hmm. Charity begins at home and all of that. Shouldn't we be doing more for our own people? Yes, we should, but we're, but we're not. We're not doing that at the because moment. Because there they isn't have the, the money. opposite arguments. No, they don't. They don't, ha they don't have, have to. Be. They can absolutely go. The hand money in has hand. to come from somewhere as ever. Because it's not ta it's not government money. It's our money. It's public taxpayer mm. money. Yeah. It has to come from somewhere. And it's not all about taxing the rich before we go down that road. Because the rich will just all go. But 11 billion won't go anywhere near to touch the sides of what the defence. The well, no, it will. Budget. It'll add 11 billion to 70 billion. So what's that as a percentage? Think, I don't know. Can 15, I just 15, ask you, Paula, do, you, do you think that the British public are scared of war? When you hear Ben Wallace today say we could be at war in 10 years. Do you think, again, taking my analogy all over yeah. the United Kingdom, do you think they're more scared of, of a potential invasion or a war or the fact they might actually not be able to heat their homes? I think the, I think the British public think that things are already happening that could mean that we are at war. For example, we've already had attacks on two Russians in, in this country. Mm -hmm. That's already happened. OK, so, you, you know, should we have acted more? Should we have done more at that stage? Some of the British public may think that we didn't do enough and so that the Russians think that they can get away with doing that again. That I was on take, British I think, soil. I think we take what used to be, and hopefully it can be again, Great Britain for granted. Yes. I think we look yes. back 50, 100 years, we still assume that we are that military force that we were then. I mean, we've hardly got an aircraft carrier now. No, we haven't. Yeah. We're depleting but our soldiers, you know, we're... 80,000 We're, we're now. a shadow of what we were. To your point, Jeremy, I actually think... I think at the moment, British people, I don't want to speak for them, but I imagine, care more about what's going on and whether they're able to survive the day, let alone a war, which I think is why it's quite manipulative, actually, to throw it out there to say, oh, in this upcoming budget, I will need so much money. And the reason why I'm going to justify that is I'm going to scare people into thinking that they could be in a situation even worse yeah, but he's got to speak up for his department. I, I, I admire the fact that I he's done that. I understand he has to stick up for his department. I just worry that people... If we've got to the point where we're scaring people into giving departments money on the basis of war... Yeah, but he's not wrong. Then what given, a terrible place Given the at. geopolitics that are at play yeah, at the moment, the, he's, not, the geopolitics, he's, not, he's not definitely they're, they're wrong, not is he? that dissimilar to what was going on five, ten years ago. But if the Defence Secretary wasn't standing up for more money, what's his job? What's the point of Ben Wallace? But it's the way in which he's justifying it, which is... No, I think he's 100% You know, to right. say, we, we need to have this level of defence in order right. to be You'd expect the health secretary protected. to say, yeah, again, as it is the same every year, you know, the NHS is broken in crisis, we've got 24 mm -hmm. hours to save it. You'd mm -hmm. expect Steve Barclay to be singing for more money. So what's the yeah. difference between Steve Barclay and Ben Wallace? Be 
not everyone will understand those nuances, Russ, yeah. and that's the danger. Well, then we need to do this more often and help educate. <laughs> I know her name's Paula Rodangel. I'm just going to call her. I'm just going to call her. Yeah, put her in. Paula Are. Paula Are. Right. Hold fire. Still very pleasant, isn't it? Was it? We're warming up. You're warming up. Well, this is great. Now, it's my favourite subject. And Timmy, you love this, don't you? You don't even know what it's about. Next on JK Live is Prince Andrew. Bless him, he could be moving into just a three-bedroom house in London. And how will Prince Harry react to Ben Wallace's jab? Because Ben Wallace said, and I quote, you let us down. Uh, Royal commentator Emily Andrews not able to meet us in, in person, but live from her study next on JK Live. We're coming right back. that this man could beat me, even if he had a hammer in both hands. If Jake loses, his career's over. If Tommy can't splatter Jake Paul, I'll retire him from boxing myself. When I knock out Tommy Fury, people will have nothing left to say. straight to the point. World-class broadcaster Vanessa Feltz is on Talk TV every night of the week. From politics to pop culture, there's no subject she shies away from. And remember, if you're thinking about it, we're talking about it. Join Vanessa Feltz on Talk TV every day from 4pm. beat me, even if he had a hammer in both hands. If Jake loses, his career's over. If Tommy can't splatter Jake Paul, I'll retire him from boxing myself. When I knock out Tommy Fury, people will have nothing left to say.
This is Talk TV. My friends, welcome back. JK Live for Thursday night. Don't forget the big dog is here from 8 o'clock. Piers Morgan live from New York City. Oh, my favourite subject. Now, it's been an interesting couple of years for the Duke of York, let's face it. And if the royal rumour mill is true, then things are showing no sign of abating for the poor old Duke of York, who could be forced to move into his ex's, well, Fergie's bungalow. But to be fair... This bungalow is worth four million quid. It's in the centre of Belgravia. The move is part of Charles's bid to slim down the royal family, which includes Andrew's £30 million lodge on the Windsor estate. Uh, other royal news, Britain's Defence Secretary Ben Wallace, we were talking about that, slammed Prince Harry today for boasting about shooting 25 Taliban fighters in Afghanistan. And I was delighted, by the way, I'll be met with opposition... Uh, to see that the late Queen's lady-in-waiting, Lady Susan Hussey, is back performing official duties three months after the, she stepped down following those uh, racist remarks that were made to a black charity boss at a palace event that were dealt with between the two of them, which is good to see. Joining me now to discuss all things royal. She's not here tonight. I have no idea why. How are you, Em? Emily Andrews. Hi, Jez. How are you doing? I'm all right. Lovely well, well, well. Um, the sympathy must be raining down on the Duke of York. I mean, the poor man might have to move out of his 30-bedroom mansion um, in, in Sunningdale and he's going to have to go and move into his ex-wife's little pad, only three bedrooms, just worth 4.25 million quid, in Belgravia. I mean, I have to say, that'd be very nice to live in, it doesn't get any better for Andrew at all, does it, to be fair? You can see the world's tiniest violin over my shoulder is playing while a little gnome in my garden weeps Prince Andrew in the torrid circumstances in which he now finds himself. Look, I think we've all agreed there's very little public sympathy for Andrew. And the deal is when he signed the lease of Royal Lodge in Windsor, which used to be his great-grandmother's, um, his grandmother's even, uh, the Queen Mother's house, he signed the lodge lease and he had to pay for all the renovations and because he paid such a big amount of money up front, he actually did their rent free. The position now is that Charles has indicated to many members of the family, including Prince Andrew and Prince Edward, he's going to cut the money that he gives them from the sovereign's personal pot of money, the Duchy of Lancaster. And what I thought was really interesting about this story, Jez, was that, um, so Andrew effectively says, although he lives in Royal Lodge rent free, he's not going to have enough dosh to do the renovations that now need to be done to Royal Lodge for that swimming pool and those 80 rooms. What I thought was really interesting is where this story came from. This story came from a journalist called Daphne Barrett, who actually was instrumental in getting that great chat that you had with Ghislaine mm. Maxwell in prison. Daphne's friend of Ghislaine's knows Andrew. And so initially when I saw this press, I thought, oh, is this like the PR arm of Buckingham Palace showing Charles to be, you know, slimming down monarchy, et cetera, et cetera. No, this is actually effectively a, print, a friend of Prince Andrew's. And I did wonder if it's part of Andrew's kind of PR movement to try and shame Charles into, well, into not making him homeless. Well, this is really interesting, right, because there is no public sympathy and there shouldn't be any public sympathy. And, and his, you know... The, the, the drop-down that he's experiencing will continue. What I'm interested in is his brother, right? I don't know whether there's any brotherly love or whether... Char but Charles has never been very good at confronting people. Charles is, is a placator, isn't he, in terms of the way he runs his life. Do you think 
that he, he is riding on the crest of what the public think? Do you think he's actually going to shaft his own brother, or do you think this is... I mean, I, I'm not sure that Charles has it in him in Leicester. I mean, talking about a slimmed-down monarchy is one thing, but is he actually going to turf his brother out, do you reckon? I think... That, look, the relationship between Charles and Andrew is quite complicated, as we've seen with another set of brothers. Relationships between the heir and the spare are often quite tricky. There have been times when actually they've been very close um, in, when they basically came together to force the removal of the Queen's um, former private secretary. They got together to oust him because they were both annoyed with him for different reasons. There have been times when Andrew and Charles have been at loggerheads, particularly over money. I can't see Andrew leaving Royal Lodge because don't forget it's rent free at the moment. He just hasn't got the money to do the renovations. Well, oh, boo hoo, you know. So <laughs> I can't see Charles making Andrew homeless. However, I guess it's more symbolic. What does the fact that Royal Lodge stand for? And, of course, Royal Lodge is outside the security curtilage of Windsor Castle. Doesn't get any of that either. Do you know what? Go, do you know no, what? No, he does. This is the problem. They have to pay for all... Charles is now having oh. to pay all that security to protect Royal Lodge, and I suspect that is what this is about. Very interesting. Uh, other stuff as well. You heard me talk about Ben Wallace just then. Uh, he's been called out today for his remarks about the Taliban in his book, uh, where Ben Wallace says you should not in any way have said you killed 25 Taliban. We said that when it happened. And Ben Wallace today making that point. Another nail in the coffin. Well, as ever, JK, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. I think he was asked on LBC. Ben Wallace has served um, in, in many arenas in the, in the army, including in Northern Ireland. He was asked what his kill tally was, and his reply was, well, you have to ask Prince Harry about that. And then he went on to say, I don't think anyone should ever vote about how many people they killed. And, you know, you and I have said this before. I personally agree with that. I've never served in the armed forces before, but certainly when Harry wrote about it in his book, a lot of members of the military, including, you know, guys who, who were friends of Harry, said, I don't think it's really appropriate. And you know what? I reread the book. Um, I read for my sins. I reread Spare this week. Reread it, it, woman. Reread it. Why? Yes. Yes. Well, I really wanted to kind of like go into detail and really properly read it as opposed to skim. Was it like, any better the second time? Well, it just two things that really come across how petulant and childlike he is, and there is a lot of stuff about war, you know, in there about Afghanistan when he he went um, and and served twice, and I just it just for me came across as very um, superficial. Actually, I think if you're going to talk a lot about war and the reasons there was no, there was no kind of context about why we went to war, what it meant. M, just M, can I ask you something? Because the silence from Montecito since that fantastic South Park thing that if I could play every hour of my life, I would play. Uh, uh, Princess Duchy Pushy Woman, we haven't heard anything from her, have we? Do you think there's any regret from Harry about writing this bloody book, yes or no? No, I think no regrets. It's part of his personal healing journey. Oh, yeah. I think definitely the noise on the street, as it were, the background noise from Meghan, is that she is so quiet. And, and I hear that she perhaps wasn't quite as enthusiastic about Harry doing it as Harry himself. Interesting. Um, the other story in the, the Royal News today, and I'm, I'm just going to qualify this because I have not read one comment online that doesn't support this lady. Uh, lady Susan Hussey, 60 years of service, used to be married to Marmaduke Hussey, the ex-chairman of the BBC, served our late Queen loyally. There was that falling out with the, uh, uh, the lady from the charity um, at Buckingham Palace, and quite rightly, Lady Susan Hussey was called out. Prince William threw out a statement saying, quite rightly, no racism should be allowed anywhere in the world. She met her, didn't she, personally? Um, and, and today, pictures 
of her going back into Buckingham Palace, standing in for the Princess Royal, Princess Anne. What's your thoughts on that? Because most people said, come on, this was a 60-year-old, an 80-year-old lady uh, who probably didn't mean it, probably might be a bit uneducated, probably, well, apparently is short of, of, of hearing perfectly. So do you have sympathy for her? Are you glad she's back or not? Well, I've met Lady Susan on a number of occasions and I did feel on a personal level very sorry for her. She is a very close friend of the royal family. She didn't just work for them as the Queen's most senior lady in waiting. She's a friend. She's Prince William's godmother. So she really is part of that close-knit circle. I felt very sorry for her when she resigned. But the palace accepted her resignation. Um, I, I personally wouldn't have handled it like that. I think I would have done something differently. And actually, I felt very uneasy, if I'm honest, when I saw those press photographs of, you know, very stage photographs of her and then goes with Milani, the lady that she she talked to at Buckingham Palace, as if to say, oh, it's OK, you know, we've had a chat, it's fine. What she said, you know, where you're really from, is, in my opinion, completely unacceptable. And yes, we can explain age and generation, hmm. but that... Bucking, but Buckingham Palace is a very white place. It is. And if you are of a different culture, skin colour, class even, it's going to feel very intimidating. So whilst I have very much sympathy with Lady Susan, she is a lovely, charming lady, and she would be absolutely mortified by what had happened. From a PR and a kind of PR arm's length perspective, I don't think it's a particularly good look for Charles and Buckingham Palace to accept her resignation and now effectively have her back working for them. Emily, uh, as ever, brilliant. I do think you should make more effort to come in next time. I mean, I know all about, you know, all about the kids and all that, but thank you very much indeed. Jez, I offered. We've no budget. You can't have a car, you've got to come on your bike. Thank you very much indeed. Emily Andrews, uh, our royal uh, correspondent. Now, um, sad news today that we wanted to tell you about. Legendary football commentator John Motson, who was affectionately known as Motty to his listeners, has sadly died at the age of 77. Now, throughout the most incredible 50-year career, this man covered 10 World Cups, 10 European Championships and 29 FA Cups for BBC Sport and TalkSport. Oh, it's Norman. Gerard! He's got it! Oh, Steven Gerard! Just when he looked injured and out of it, has equalised for Liverpool. With 90 minutes gone, it's 3-3 in surely the best cup final of modern times. Do you know what? When the ball came to him, I think he thought, I'm just going to hit this. Because, you know, I can't run with it. I can't, can't really get in the full range of passing. The ball gets played in, and Reese is cross. Down it comes, and he just said, I'm just going to hit it. A real boxer yet. This is a fight two years in the making. There is no way that this man could beat me, even if he had a hammer in both hands. Jake loses his career over. If Tommy can't spot a Jake Paul, I'll retire him from boxing myself. When I knock out Tommy Fury, people will have nothing left to say.
passionate and always straight to the point. World-class broadcaster Vanessa Feltz is on Talk TV every night of the week. From politics to pop culture, there's no subject she shies away from. And remember, if you're thinking about it, we're talking about it. Join Vanessa Feltz on Talk TV every day from 4 p.m. Welcome back. Now, normally, of course, we'd have gone to the break with a rhyme, but it didn't feel quite right. And, and God rest his soul, John Motson was an absolute legend. But here is the rhyme now. More docs making the grade. Today, women get paid. And can you trust robot maids? That's all coming up on... The Showdown. Brilliant. On the right, Talk TV legend Mike Graham. And on the left, somebody from Labour turned up, political journalist Ava Santina. <laughs> Um, can I start with some news, breaking news just in on talk. Disgraced Hollywood mogul Harvey Weinstein has been sentenced to 16 more years for rape and sexual assault charges. May he rot in hell for all eternity. Ava. Yeah, I mean, it's not something you can cheer, is it? It's just like, well... Well, good, but, you know, and to what end? Has yeah. Hollywood cleaned itself up afterwards? I'm not sure. I very it's much still endemic, it. yeah. yeah. I mean, Hollywood is a very, very hypocritical place, I'm afraid, and there's an awful lot of people who knew what was going on long before uh, he ever found his way into a courtroom, and I suspect there's plenty of people who are still up to no good. Yeah, you have to wonder if people can be guilty by association, you know? Mm. Is it... Would you sit right knowing if you were a man and you'd known that was going on, would you sit comfortably no, knowing? absolutely no. not. I would, no. I would do something about it. Yeah, and, and probably you would have suffered at that point, but you've known in your heart that you were doing the right thing. Yeah. Disgusting. Yeah. Rotten hell for all eternity. Uh, the NHS workforce plan to double medical school places, Ava Santina. Blueprint tackles staff shortages with on-the-job training for apprentice doctors and nurses. Medical school places will double, and thousands of apprentice doctors will be trained on the job under NHS plans to deal with chronic staff shortages. Yeah, I mean, this is quite a farce, because we do know that 
most doctors and nurses are trained on the job. I mean, throughout the pandemic, nurses who had hardly graduated were thrown out onto the, you know, the shop floor and told, you know, get on with it, even if you don't know what you're doing. So this is hardly new. Well, I think, also... it's, I think it's a slightly different approach. They've obviously been listening to my show, Jeremy, because I've been proposing... Every this. morning, talk TV, 10 o'clock. Yeah, 10 o'clock, don't miss it, Monday <laughs> to Friday. Um, yeah. The point about it is, is that they, don't do, week. It, they don't do enough uh, actual on-the-job training. What they've been doing is going to university, getting these ridiculous degrees in nursing. And ridiculous. I've been Degrees in you don't nursing. need a degree in nursing. What do you mean, like the knowledge of how to no. do nursing? Well, do you think the nurses didn't Are we exist? now saying no. that well, medicine is woke? Is that what no. you're going what to I'm argue? Saying, what I'm going to say to you is that long before you were born, nurses went in and did very good work. They didn't need a degree to do it. They trained faster. They got on the job quicker. Mm. And they were just as good as the ones who now walk around claiming to have a degree in letters after their name. But do you know who decides how often they can go into the wards, depending on, on what qualification they've got and how much of the degree they've done? Do you know who decided that? Who the European that? Union. And they are still in charge of those rules. And so the Royal College of Nursing have, have admitted that, and this is a great move. I, I think the problem is, of course, that the NHS pays for their training and they all disappear off and work privately. And now this is for you. Today is Women's Pay Day for the first day of the year when the Outrageous. average woman effectively stops working for free because of the gender pay gap. Women effectively work for free for two months a year because they are paid so much less than men, according to a report. Female workers typically earn 14.9% less than men. Does that not annoy you? Why are you asking me? But doesn't it upset you, knowing that, you know, females who work for you on your team could be being wow. paid less? Does that not annoy you? I, I I'm know sure that's not the case on Jeremy. That is absolutely not the case, and I would like to say hand on heart, because actually one of the senior people in my team is a woman. I mm. believe that it should be on ability in and, general, and nothing sorry, that else. In general, sorry, I didn't mean that. Are you earning the same as story. him? Do I earn the same as... I no, certainly but, hope but not. There's also <laughs> I mean, that's an outrage. There's also experience in that, isn't there? Well, but then he'd be earning a lot more But you. But you know what the thing is, as well, a lot of times women... That women do find it harder to go and ask their boss for a raise. Men are conditioned, and they, you know, to go in and just say, "Yeah, I'm really good at this job. Pay me more." I'm Sometimes not sure if that's the case anymore because it depends. There are an awful lot more women bosses as well now. And yes. If you are a but woman, but nowhere near proportionally what it should be. Well, I don't know what it should be. You might have a view well, of that. Well, 50-50. No, I don't think anything should be 50-50. It should be Why? based up because it's nonsensical to say, "Let's it look at this company and make sure merit. half of the women." Uh, half of the people in the top jobs are women, only if they're good at it. Yeah, absolutely. No, I that? agree with that. But how many women are underemployed? How many women are not recognised for those top people? positions on account people. of their gender? How many people are underemployed? How many people? I would agree with that. Yeah, let's not focus too much on one gender. Because but we that are would talking about one gender right now. We're talking about the fact that women no. are paid 14% less than but men. But it's not in isolation. It's not in Thank isolation. You, I mean, most people who pay tax have to work all the way to May before they can even see any of their own money because they've given all that money to the government. That is a completely different situation. Is it? Yes, of course it Why? is. Well, that's what, what argument are you making? How are women being underpaid by private companies in any way comparable to you paying your fair sh share of tax? Because I just said it was. But... <laughs> <Mike>. <laughs> uh, the tri right, this is good for you two. We haven't got much time tonight. Yes. The, domest the triggers for domestic tips. A survey reveals that household trolls and dropping downs... And what? dropping downs are most likely to get couples arguing. The most Gracious. likely instance wow. to trigger a row is leaving the lights Surely on. Surely that should solve in it. An empty... <laughs> dropping down. In both what the bloody hell wrote that? Yeah. Wipe, not wiping services and dropping towels. It's I'm not dropping down. Some idiot, oh, old... probably a man, has written yeah. dropping down. It's the old dropping towels trick. Yeah, it's the old dropping <laughs> towels. Oh, your towels dropped. I've what dropped a shock. A towel. Um, uh, <laughs> If you drop towels on a damp heap on the floor, that really hacks off the wife. That would really, yeah. really. Annoy so you're me. you're in a relationship. We're allowed to say that with yeah. a man. Is it fifty? Yeah. Does he cook? He he cooks. I clean.
That's the that's the arrangement. You don't. He what? I, he he cooks. I clean. You don't clean. Yeah. I, I don't believe it. I don't clean. No, I don't believe. I've it. Got I run a very OCD. Clean. You got time. I, I've millennials, got OCD, millennials. So everybody and... knows that tonight when I get home, yeah. have dinner with Victoria, she'll go to bed yeah. at two o'clock in the morning. I'll mop the floor. I'm that sad. Really? It, you see, you think that's sad. That is sad. You? You no, but you have a good that. steam mop. You shouldn't I be do doing that. I have a steam mop. Yeah. Oh. Got a, no, mate. <laughs> have you got one of those? Have you got one of those power hoses as well that you do the car with? Yes, but no, you've so a power mop. Right? Is the a steam power mop? No, no, like this is this is like. What's happened to you? Well, it's called domestication. Do you not? Do you, no. Marble floor. I've never been domesticated. Marble floor. Yeah. Marble floor. Oh yeah, but no. All right, no. Maybe <laughs> no neighbours. No. Get a picture. Here we go. What do you mean? Oh, you're having a. You're turning it on me. We talk. You know wait, What about you? Because yeah. you live sadly on your own. Because nobody will put That's up your drop in your no. damp towel. No, I live on my own part of the time because I like living on my own. Uh, Why do you like living on your own? Because I like not having anybody else to talk to. Anywhere. Also, I don't want. Yeah, I can do anything I want with my towels. I can have anybody uh, come round to the house if I wish to have. Never been around. invited, have you? Uh, oh, no. that's probably a question I shouldn't ask. You probably shouldn't ask. <laughs> I keep trying to invite her, but she keeps refusing. Do you not go? Why? He doesn't no. steam his floors. Yeah, I, I don't steam his floors. I have board, a cleaner yeah? though, and most millennials that I know, they're always moaning about. I haven't got enough money to go abroad. I can't buy a house, but they've all got cleaners. I'm amazed that you don't. Why? I'm I'm a very clean person. I like to I'm clean. I'm not saying you're dirty. So you clean and he cooks. Yeah, but also if you can share the workload like that, you know, if you've got you know 50-50, not cooking for me is just but you're an not there half, joy. The, half the week, are you? You're no, but I can. Gallivanting <laughs> off on picket lines and waving placards and you know causing revolution. So when you get home tonight, is it your house or his house? This is getting. This is more invasive yeah, of a question than what, I was yeah. expecting. Is it your house? <laughs> we will. We, we've not got a lot of time. Okay, <laughs> uh, in, I'm just saying. Uh, so he basically cooks for his rent. Is that's what that's we're talking what about? Like, isn't it? Yeah, he does like the that. cooking because yeah. otherwise she'll turf him out. Yeah, that's where. And goes. her friends will deal with him. Good luck with that. Yeah, I'm saying it. No in Middlesbrough, which is, and by the way, I'm, I'm a massive Newcastle fan. Good luck to the boys in the mm. Carabao Cup final. Yeah. Uh, Sunday, I'll be there against Manchester United in Middlesbrough. Teesside's Parks Poundland store. You try saying that. Has applied for a tourist attraction. Uh, the company has applied for an official brown tour. Sign, which are managed by Highways England to represent how much of an attraction it is. Let me tell you, in Middlesbrough, Poundland probably is an attraction. It isn't may it? well be. I was in Wall's End once, and they had, Very nice. they had um, a, a, an outlet store for Greggs. Oh, I'm not what? joking. It was a Greggs outlet store for stuff that was going off because the, the population is so poor that that's where they go and get their Greggs. Right. Ava? Shocking. I you were up there just recently, weren't you? I was, I was in Middlesbrough, yeah. I actually went to Middlesbrough last Saturday. Yeah, yeah, I did. And it really shocked me how nothing was open on the high street. I find that really sad, the death of because the high street. That, because I think we forget, living in London, how poor some parts of Britain Absolutely. are. Absolutely. Yeah. People haven't got money to spend. Everywhere Absolutely. we go, yeah. down here, it's mobbed. Well, I think that in the northeast, not so much. For me as well, there was actually nothing open. There were no shops to shop in. What I were you looking for? The, well, anything. Really? You know, not like, food, because you don't no. do the cooking. No, it doesn't need cleaning that. Products. Maybe some cleaning products. Or or some rubber gloves. Yeah. What, what? Rubber gloves. Right, what, for last one. An Ohio pizza... An Ohio? Ohio. Somebody's written that wrong. An Ohio pizzeria sparked a massive <laughs> debate online after the owner hung up a sign that said, I'm not going to hire stupid people. You better move out of Ohio if I was him. Really? Yeah, there's a lot of them there. I've been to Columbus, yeah. Ohio. I've been to Cleveland. It's the only place in the world I've ever been where the river went on fire. The river went yep. on fire? That was so many chemicals in it. Went right. on fire. Uh, good. Do you know who's the most famous residents of Columbus, Ohio? Columbus, Ohio, no. Jack Nicholas. Uh, listen, you go home and do some cleaning. Yep. You go home and drop your towels everywhere. Thank I you. appreciate it enormously. Now... The social media sensation Jake Paul is all set to finally go head-to-head -head with Tommy Fury in the ring on Sunday after their clash billed as the truth. 
has already been postponed twice. But before that, he's going head-to-head -head with someone even more formidable. I cannot believe this. At 8 o'clock, with Piers Morgan, Jake Paul. Have a look at this, my friends. While I was waiting to interview you, I watched you guys <laughs> doing a thing together. Quite interesting, the body language, because both of you have a lot to lose on Sunday night, don't you? You're both unbeaten, a lot of pride at stake, a lot of legacy at stake here. How are you feeling about that? I love it, man. I love big moments. I love the high stakes. This is what I came into this sport to do, is to put on big pay-per-views, big events, and I'm putting it all on the line. The bigger the risk, the bigger the reward. Um, and there's a lot, like you said, on the line. It's UK versus US. It's the Furies versus the Pauls. And I have to go out there and prove that I could beat a professional boxer because that's been the number one criticism of my career so far. So I'm super excited for this. Let's head live to New York City from Wet Ealing to, well, he's just a superstar. Mr. Morgan, how are you, son? Well, Jess, I was surprised that you called uh, Jake Paul a social media king or whatever you called him because I actually had to remind Mr. Paul he only has 4.5 million followers on Twitter and I have 8.4 million. I did that. I did that so that you could provide. I did that so you could then do that. Now I'm going to. I'm going to put you <laughs> on the spot, Morgan. Who wins? Because Jake Paul's not a real boxer, is he? Yeah, he's got a record of six six fights, no losses, won every one. Taking on increasingly good people from the world of different combat sports. I think it's going to be an amazing fight. I've just been talking to Cristiano Ronaldo, who obviously lives in Saudi, is going to the fight on Sunday. And he, he, I agree with him. It's going to be a great fight. Very close. Hard to call it. Listen, you'll only get it on Piers Morgan Uncensored. I sit here with Mike Graham and Ava Santina. He's in New York after a lobster lunch speaking to Jake Paul. He's got Gordon <laughs> Brown, the British Prime Minister. He's just hung out with Ronaldo. I'll polish your shoes later. They'll be fine when you come back. Enjoy your if you show. If you wouldn't mind, thank you. Absolutely. There he is, the big man. Now that's all we've got time for. Plank of the Week is back tomorrow at 7 o'clock in our place. Thank you to Mike. Thank you to Ava. I was thinking about boxing. My father used to be a boxer. Oh, yeah? Yeah, mother was a bloodhound. <laughs> the worst joke you've ever heard. Stand by, live from New York City. The big man, the big dog, Piers Morgan, is next with Uncensored. Have a great Thursday. Ta-ra! that this man could beat me, even if he had a hammer in both hands. Jake loses, his career over. If Tommy can't spot a Jake Paul, I'll retire him from boxing myself. When I knock out Tommy Fury, people will have nothing left to say. straight to the point. World-class broadcaster Vanessa Feltz is on Talk TV every night of the week. 
from politics to pop culture, there's no subject she shies away from. And remember, if you're thinking about it, we're talking about it. Join Vanessa Feltz on Talk TV every day from 4 p.m.